And I've got to tell you, I cannot imagine too many things more tiring than trying to get a classroom full of students back into school mode after they've been in summer mode for two or three months. I don't care if they're kindergartners or 12th graders, not too many of them go back excited to be there. So today, um, a, a little bit of a different kind of scripture. We have one verse that I'd like to study with you today. One verse. We'll see if we have time for it. And it comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's just, um, it, it grabbed me in my studies over the last couple weeks. And there's a lot in here, but I want to I dig into this with you because um, I think this is a, a really nice kind of a next step after the last couple weeks of talking about how God created us, how we are in a struggle to focus on the truth and block out Satan's lies and temptations. And so 2 Corinthians 13, 11 is where we're going to camp out for a little while today. Um, this is on the screen behind me. Let me read it out. Actually, this is short enough. Why don't we read this all together? Can you read with me? And I know you have different versions of Scripture that might be in your lap, but would you read with me the version here that's on the screen? This is the NIV. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. This is a word from the Apostle Paul. And just as John spoke this morning about how um, Thessalonica was one of those churches where Paul and his friends had gone and planted a church. They had relationships there um, with folks who were Christians who were building the church. And then Paul kept in touch with those Thessalonians by writing letters back and forth. Well, much the same thing happened in Corinth. Corinth was a city that was Greek in its makeup. We've talked before about how Corinth was a large city. It was a wealthy city. There was an important trade city. And there was all kinds of immorality there. But Paul went there, preached the message of Christ. People responded. And so they built churches there. There were fellowships there, and Paul would keep in touch with them. He traveled there, but he also would write letters when he heard about things that were happening there. And so we have two of those letters in our scripture, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So these are letters that were written uh, just about 2,000 years ago to believers in Corinth. And so 2 Corinthians, fantastic book of instruction on how to live for Jesus Christ and here at the end, as, as Paul is kind of, he doesn't have a PS, but it's right before he might have signed his name. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Now, phrase by phrase, brothers and sisters, as I said, Paul is writing to believers in Corinth. He knows them. This is the second letter that he's written to them. So he knows them. They know him. They're familiar with his style by now. And so he's saying, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Rejoice. He's giving them this encouragement. He's giving them, it's almost like a command, isn't it? Which is probably important for us to recognize because sometimes to rejoice is a decision, and it's not just a feeling. Many of us have those moments in our lives where we feel like rejoicing, where we just can't help it. We just kind of jump, oh, praise God. You have those times, right? I hope you've had some recently. But there are lots of times when we don't feel like it. And yet, Paul says, brothers and sisters, rejoice. 
rejoice because God is worth praising. Even when things seem like they're falling apart in our life, there is always something to rejoice about because Jesus Christ has lived for us. He died on the cross for us. He rose from the grave conquering sin so that we could be forgiven when we believe in him and he is preparing a place for us in heaven. That's something to rejoice about even if life on this earth for now is a mess. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Strive. There is something here for people to do. Strive for it. Go after it. Go get it. It's interesting to me, a number of you, your, your kids, or maybe you yourself have started back up with school, and some of you have started up with a sports season again. Anybody here playing soccer, playing football, getting ready to play some volleyball? Any of you ever have, have your coach tell you, okay, go get it. You're prepared. Now go get it. Go do it. That's what Paul is talking about here. Brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive. Work toward. Orient yourself toward full restoration. There is something people do here because we are created to be in partnership with God. We're not machines that God just kind of moves around. We're not, we're not chess pieces on a board that God sits back and, and decides. We have the ability to make decisions about how we're going to live and how we're going to conduct ourselves. So God invites us into partnership with That's why Adam and Eve were created. Do you remember we talked about a month ago about how God created humanity to rule over and subdue this earth? God certainly is still in charge. He is supreme. God is sovereign. And yet he creates us to, to be in his image and to rule in his power. Strive for full restoration. And this is where, to me, we might geek out here for a minute, but this is, for me, where things start to get a little curious. Because this phrase, full restoration, may be new to some of you. In older versions of the Bible, it said, strive for perfection. Perhaps you memorized that version one time or another. But here in the last 20 years, the NIV has been saying, strive for full restoration. Like I said, some versions say be perfected, some say be perfect, some say be restored. And part of the reason why different versions say different things, and they sound different to us because in English, this is how our language works sometimes. We have 19 different words for the same thing. But the original word here, if you go back to the New Testament Greek, and we won't camp out on this too long. For those of you who are starting to glaze over already, hang with me. But the, the word in the original language that Paul would have written to the Corinthians, because he didn't write to them in English. Paul then was writing to the Corinthians in Greek. And he's writing to them in Greek that's 2,000 years old. So it's not even Greek that's exactly the same as what Greek people speak today. But the word that he used that we translate as strive for perfection or strive for full restoration is katartizeste. Katartizeste. It's, it's Greek. It's, it's all Greek to me, right? That's where you put your dad jokes in there. Katartizeste. This is one big long word that we translate as strive for restoration. Katartizeste. And by the way, this is the only spot in the New Testament where this exact word is used. And so it's a little interesting. In the New American Standard Version, that group of Bible translators looked at, looked at this Greek word, ketartizis, they said this is the only place in the New Testament where this exact word is used. And so 
They can't compare it to everything else, but what does it mean? How does it? And there are words that are kind of like catartizis they, but they're not exactly the same. But the New American Standard folks said this says, it says, be made complete. That's what catartizis they means, if you read the New American Standard. And the King James Version, produced 400 years ago, they, they translated it, be perfect. Here in the New International Version, they translated catartizis they as be restored. Be made complete, be perfect, be restored. Okay, you're getting the picture now, right? Because if I say to you the word restoration, you might think of three or four different things. Some of you think of the car show that you were at the other night. I saw some pretty cool restorations there. Restoration, some of you might think about, oh, when we moved into our first house, oh, the restoration work we had to do. Some of you, if we hear the word perfect, we think of one, th- how many different things could that mean? Okay, now we see it all together. What do different people think when they see catartizis they? To be made complete, to be made perfect, to be restored. See, words can be tricky. This is why seminary professors still have jobs. They study this stuff for a living, right? I, my grandmother, on my mom's side, uh, she was born, um, I believe, in 1918, so just over 100 years ago, she was learning the English language and, and kind of all the color of it 100 years ago in Paradise, Pennsylvania. It's where she grew up. And there were certain things about the time that she was raised and the people who raised her and the area that she lived in that, that she had some words that I don't use anymore, right? Do you know, have you noticed this with your grandparents or maybe you have some relatives who live in a different place in the country or a different place in the world and they have some words that you say, what, what's going on? My, my grandmother, one of the things, I used to love it, she used to say, I've never heard anybody else ever say this kind of thing, although I know people did. If I would ask her, um, her name was Mammal. That was my grandmother. Mammal, can I have some M&Ms? Because there was always a little jar of M&Ms. Could I have some M&Ms? She'd say, oh, you dare have some. You dare have some. We, did you notice we sang the word dare? Which song was it, Chad? Just here today. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus' name. My grandmother used that word like that in regular talk. But that wasn't even the most interesting one. She said, oh, you, you dare have another piece of pie, or you dare have some M&Ms. Did any of your grandmothers ever use that? I wonder if that was like a Paradise Mennonite thing. I don't know. But if I could not have more M&Ms, if I could not have another piece of pie, if I should not drive my car that fast, she said, oh, you dare not do that. You daresn't do that. I, I, spell check did not like that this week when I was trying to write out my sermon. You daresn't do that. And, and it probably comes out from, you know, oh, Ken dares not sit there because he might get picked on in the sermon. He dares not, he, he won't dare to do that. But in my, when, oh, you daresn't do that. That's not a word or a phrase that I hear anybody use anymore. I, I just don't. That, that's gone. I know what she meant, but even in the last 100 years, I grew up 20 miles from where she did. I spent the first 25 years of my life around her, being affected by her, but I don't say that word, and other people around me don't either. This language stuff can be funny, especially as we go back to 2 Corinthians, written 2,000 years ago in a slightly different version of Greek, and as we say, okay, exactly what does katartizeste mean? Right? We have to work at this stuff and think about this kind of stuff. We ran into this this week at our business meeting, didn't we? Tom Coverley is coming in a couple weeks. 
And in certain places of his publicity online, it says that it's a comedy illusion magic show. Now magic, that's a loaded word, right? And especially the last couple of weeks, what have I been talking with you about? I've been talking about how the devil sneaks in and and tries to get our distraction and, and get us away from God. And magic is a problem, right? We think of sorcery and witchcraft. The word magic is not used in the Bible, but it's one of those English words that came out of some of that stuff hundreds of years ago. But there are also people, and we know this, people in our world who, who are not talking at all about sorcery or witchcraft. They're talking about, pick a card, any card. They're talking about illusions. They're talking about tricks of the eye where they can do this to you. And so we wrestled with that a little bit. What do we do with this? And so I called Tom. I said, Tom, the word magic's a problem for me. It's a problem for us. And he said, well, then take it out. He said, I'm not a magician. He said, they're focusing on the illusion. Here's what he said to me. He said, um, he said my job to do what he does and speak to people about his faith. He said, my job is to destroy illusions. To show people how anybody who has any kind of a show, even if in some other place they call it a magic show, he said, there is nothing supernatural going on there. It's just a quick hand. It's a misdirection. And that was a good enough answer for me. So on all our publicity, we've removed the word magic because we don't want to be confusing. But you see how words can be very difficult. Catartizeste is a little bit that kind of way. Which English word do we use to convey this? Perfect, complete, restored. There are some other words, as I said, in the New Testament that are close. Not exactly the same as catartizeste, but they have some of the same roots. In 1 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, so many fun words today. Paul talked about how he is praying most earnestly night and day for the Thessalonians so that he can see them face to face. And in 1 Thessalonians 3.10, he says, so that he can provide or supply what is lacking in their faith. Supply what is lacking in their faith. That is a shade of a comparison to they. So kind of this, you're lacking some things in your faith, I want to build you up. You can hear how that sounds like restoration, doesn't it? In Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, the writer of Hebrews is is wrapping up the book and says, kind of this benediction, this prayer, says, may the God of peace equip you with everything good so that you may do his will. That word is not exactly they. It's kind of like saying, here it is in English. This morning, when Melanie and Bree and I got in the car, I would have said to them, come on, let's drive to church. And now I look back and say, how did I get here today? I drove to church. What am I going to be doing this afternoon when I go to my in-law's house for lunch? I'm going to be driving there. Drive, drove, driving. Not all exactly the same, but they're very similar. That's catartizus day. We're looking at all the different shades of it. Hebrews 13, 20, equip you with everything good. So Thessalonians, supply what is lacking. It's pretty close. Equip you with everything good in Hebrews. Okay, now we're getting a picture. Galatians 6, Paul says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, he's talking to Christians here, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. today, different kind of root. You should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, restoration, supply what is lacking, equip with everything good. You see the picture coming together? 1 Peter 5. Peter says to the Christians, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you. 
okay, after I've suffered, God's going to restore me. He's going to kind of put things back together. He's going to make things okay. Oh, a fuller. You see, this is how translators figure out exactly what kind of, I know we're getting in the weeds, but I got one last one for you. The last one, I promise. Matthew 4, 21. Jesus, it says, Jesus went on from the place he was at and he saw two other brothers, James and John, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And the word used for mending their nets, which is used all over the place, everybody knows exactly what that means when they study the old Greek. The word used for mending their nets is very close to katartizeste. It's just not exactly the same. So what is the picture? What does katartizeste in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, what's it mean? What is it that Paul is calling the Corinthians to strive towards? What are we supposed to work at? Well, if we put it all together, we are supposed to strive towards having our supply met. We are supposed to strive towards being equipped. We are supposed to strive towards being mended. We are supposed to strive towards being made perfect and whole and complete. We are supposed to strive for restoration, to be restored. Paul says, strive for that. Now, we are not striving for salvation. You can't get salvation by striving. Salvation from the Lord is a gift from God. All this catharticiste, this striving for restoration, that comes after salvation and only because of salvation. Paul says, brothers and sisters, because you are saved, because you claim Jesus now, catharticiste, be restored. Okay? We're talking about living life to the full. So here's the question, and here's where we're going to camp out for the rest of the morning. What does it look like to strive for restoration, to be perfected, to be mended, to be equipped, to be... What does that look like? I've got three thoughts for you. In Romans 2.12, it says that we should not be conformed to the world, but we should be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds, right? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, we are called to be thinking about all the things around us so that we can sort out what is good and what is bad. That is part of restoration. To be thinking through all the stuff in our lives, because here's the thing, you and I have baggage. All of us, even those of us who were loved well when we were children, those of us who were grown up with grandmothers that said daresent, but more often they said you dare. Go ahead and have more M&Ms, Jesse. Even those of us who were loved well and who were treated well and who maybe can't think of like big horrible things that happened, all of us have baggage because we are living in a world at war and we have taken shots. We have dealt with disappointments. We have dealt with frustrations. We have dealt with dreams that did not come true. We have dealt, this, this may sound like, like a, an overreaction, but frankly, we have dealt with people that were just really mean to us. And in some ways we might say, okay, but, but here, honestly, is there anybody that you still just really don't like because of the way that they treated you? Even just with their words? Even just with a look? Well, that's, Stuff's affecting us. We carry some of that around, and God says, no, I, I can restore that. You don't have to carry that. And sometimes I think it starts with our minds because we need to be thinking about this stuff. Who am I? What's happened to me? Who do I need to forgive? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to talk about? 
Because there is baggage that some of us are carrying that, that we don't need to carry. Now, some of you are perfectly clear about the ways that you have been hurt and wounded, about the trauma, real, legitimate, devastating trauma that you carry around in your hearts. Some of you carry these around in your bodies. Well, have you been thinking about that and processing that and dealing with that? Or have you just been trying to pretend that it's not there? Because God is saying, look, I will restore you. And, and Paul, speaking to these people in Corinth, he says, strive for restoration because you don't have to carry all that junk around with you anymore. So church, we need to be thinking. We need to read our Bibles. The Bible, it does, engages our minds and it engages our hearts. It speaks to us. And the, God of, the word of God in the scriptures will will show us the places where maybe we've fallen short and we need God's restoration. It'll show us how to pray, how to think, and how to engage. And that comes to the second point. First one, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But second, come to God in prayer. I wonder, I wonder sometimes if we really believe, we, you and me, all of us in here and, and those of you watching online, I wonder if we really believe that prayer is powerful. I've heard too many people, and I've been tempted to think sometimes myself, but I've heard too many people say, well, why do I need to waste my time praying? As if prayer is a waste of time in some way. I've heard people say, well, I prayed about that before, and it didn't happen, and so what's the point? Have you ever been let down in your prayers? Have you ever had a prayer that just didn't come through, but you thought it was a really good thing, you thought it was a powerful thing that you were praying for. It wasn't even a selfish thing. It was just a God thing that would benefit the whole world. And you prayed, and you prayed hard, and it just didn't happen. Any of you been let down that way? I have. Have any of you begun to believe Satan's lie that says, see, prayer doesn't work, does it? Prayer doesn't matter, does it? Prayer's a waste of time. It's just getting in the way of you getting things done. If you've thought of any of that stuff, your mind is starting to slip and you're starting to agree with Satan instead of agreeing with the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ who often went out on his own. Jesus, who was more connected with God, dare I say, than any of us might be. Dare, I worked it right in. Did you see that there? I didn't even try that. <laughs> dare we continue? Prayer is powerful. Even Jesus went out and spent hours praying to God just to be close, to commune, to stay connected because in this world it was difficult for him too. Do you believe that prayer matters? Do you believe that your prayers matter, that God is listening, that God hears you? Do you believe that? Oh, church, we must. We must. I wonder... Have you asked God to restore you, to perfect you, to mend you? I've been asking that a lot over the years. God, I see this deficit in me, this thing that I don't understand, or this thing that I keep doing wrong, or this thing that just doesn't make sense. Lord, would you, would you heal me? Would you fix that up in me? Would you teach me? Would you show me? And what it looks like for me is just sitting down, sometimes walking around, and talking to God. Like I might talk to you. Kate, how are you doing today? I hope you're having a good day. Kate, how's your, how's your knee feeling today? I see you have the cane. Are you doing all right? Can I, how, how's it? And, and then if I was actually talking to Kate in a real conversation, I would shut my mouth and listen to her. <laughs> I would talk and then I would listen and she would talk and I would listen. That's called a conversation. 
Do you ever do that with God? That's what I'm trying to do with God. That's what I'm trying to build my life on. I've had some really great mentors that have pointed me in that direction. They say, Jesse, stop talking and listen. But do you believe there's any power in that? Do you believe there's any revelation in God speaking to you? Do you take any time? I know so many of you work so hard. You have obligations and you have responsibilities and you have a work ethic. Good for you. But you also have a God who would love to see you be more restored. And that's about more than just forgiving sins. That's about healing up your broken places. Have you been coming to God in prayer? I hope you're thinking about it, but I hope you're praying about it too. Maybe you're not sure what you're missing. Maybe you're not sure how you're broken. You just know that something's off. You know that even just right now, you're sitting here in the spirit saying to you, yeah, there's, there's just there's a peace in your life. It's just, maybe you don't know what it is. Well, have you prayed to God about that? Have you asked him? Have you ever sat still even for a minute and said, God, something's off. Would you please just speak to me and show me what it is? Because you never know when you might hear that voice from God. Do you believe that God might ever speak to you? Do you believe that God cares about you enough to, to kind of download anything into your heart? Jesus said, which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a stone? You think if you come to God in prayer earnestly and regularly, if you say, God, I'm struggling to see it. Could you help me to see this? Could you help me? You don't think God's going to reveal something to you eventually? Too many of us give up far too quickly. It's like exercise. We know that it's important. And from time to time, we do it for a couple of days. But how many of you have made this a real part of your life, coming to God in prayer, saying, God, I want your restoration. God, I want you to, I want you to work on every part of me. And then just to sit still long enough to listen to how God might direct you. I hope you're having your mind transformed and renewed. I hope you're coming to God in prayer to, to find clarity on all this. And I hope you're doing it all, number three, with other people who are striving for restoration. In Hebrews and in Peter, as we were looking at this catartizus thing, we see how God restores people. In Galatians and Thessalonians, we see mature Christians going to help supply the needs of other Christians who have needs. How many of you in the last year have identified somebody who really seems to be wise, really seems to be mature in their faith? How many of you have invited them to a breakfast or a coffee or a meeting and just said, let me learn from you? Do you have a mentor like that in your life? I would encourage, I would encourage all of you to seek out someone who seems to be wise, like really connected with God, living well, and invite them to breakfast in September. And just get together and say, I just want to get to know you a little bit better. I, I want to learn from you. What can you tell me? Because there is something powerful that happens when believers get together. And especially when you seek out those who are more mature than you. Seek out those who seem to be wise. Don't try to do all this by yourself. There is power in reading the Bible. And there is great power in praying to God. But do those things, do those things with others. Be in a Sunday school class. Show up here at 9.30. Let your mind be transformed. 
Be in a small group. Build relationships with a couple other families, a couple other individuals from here at Waterway. Come to the worship services. Don't do this stuff on your own. That's the rest of 2 Corinthians 13. Paul says to him, encourage one another, be of one mind and live in peace. Strive for restoration in your mind and in your prayers and in your crowd. And encourage one another, be of one mind and live in peace. That's just one verse of the Bible, but do you see how just packed it is with God's love as Paul instructs the church how to live for Jesus? Have you ever had to decide whether it was worth it to fix your car? Like, are we going to pay this bill or are we just going to let this car, this truck, this tractor, this equipment, are we just going to let it move on? I have a Jeep like that. Um, We are blessed in our family. We have three vehicles for two drivers. Some of you are blessed in a similar way. Maybe you have a a Jeep or a motorcycle or an old car or a truck or something that just kind of sits in the garage or sits in the barn until just the right time. You don't have to drive it every day. So there's a lot of stuff that you put up with, right? But I have a Jeep like that. It's a 1997. has 224,000 miles on the original engine and transmission. It is one big problem away from being someone else's problem or their project, or their money pit. We, um, we went to the first Friday car show in Oxford just the other night. Um, I like that. Uh, it's just fun to, to walk around and see what, what everybody's done. How have they customized? How have they fixed it up? How have they not even bothered and just parked it anyway? I saw a restored military Jeep like an old little green, and it was, to my eye, I didn't look at it real close, but it looked like the person who restored that was thinking about what did this look like from the factory, and they made it just like that. Everything matched. Everything was just right. I also saw a fully customized, jacked-up Jeep about the same year as mine. You might say that they were both restored, but they looked really different. One was factory standard. One was Resto Mod Custom. But my Jeep just goes to the bank and shuts off in the drive-thru window. (laughs) Right? It's little things. Every year, it it needs this, 50 bucks here, nickel and dime stuff, right? But I love it. It's it's fun. It's the motorcycle that Melanie doesn't want me to have. (laughs) Right? It's just that, just on a nice day, it's fun to just go out, and it's loud, and it's annoying. But for the last couple years that I've had it, it was reliable. Every time it would start. It it started doing something this year. Um, I need to take it to a real mechanic. There's an electrical thing, and I don't know electrical stuff. But it'll just turn off. Driving down the road, idling. All the electric stuff stays on except the engine. (laughs) And the ignition will shut off, and so you just kind of coast to the side of the road and wait a minute. And it starts right back up, and it goes another mile or 50. Yesterday, Melanie wanted me to run to the bank. So I drove to the bank. And there were people in line at the drive-thru in front of me. I let the Jeep idle because I didn't want to turn it off. I didn't want to take a chance. And now there were people behind me. I pulled into the thing and put my money in the tube. And it went and got my deposit slip back. And right before I was getting ready to pull away, it just stopped. It quit. And it wouldn't start up again. There was a lady behind me in a little Nissan. I think she was surprised when I hopped out of my Jeep, 
like right there at the teller thing. And walked around to the back, and I just pushed it. She said, are you okay? I said, oh, I'm fine. Luckily, most bank teller drive throughs are pretty flat. Pushed it out into the parking lot, waited a couple minutes, started it up, drive it home. I think a lot of us are living our lives like that. You see the stuff at the car show, it's all restored. And, 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 and restoration means different to different people. But my Jeep is not restored either to factory spec because, well, that'd be boring. But it's also not restored in an impressive car show way because that'd be expensive. And so I just limp through. Sometimes it works, it's a lot of fun. And other times it quits, and I get out and push. There is a call here in, in Corinthians to be restored, to let God get a hold of you and make you into whatever it is that God wants you to be. Maybe that'll be something that looks a lot like what you expect and a lot like some of the other people that came off the factory line at the same time that you did. Maybe the way that God works on your heart is going to take you in a direction that's totally different than what you ever expected before, and God is going to go full custom on you. But I wonder how many of us really are allowing God to restore us at all. Or are we just pressing on because I've got other things to do? We're just dealing with it, hoping it doesn't shut off in the middle of Route 1 because I don't really have time to get to the bottom of that. We, we, just, we just limp along hoping that we can get through today because it's just going to be too hard to really let God get in there and make a difference. Are any of you limping along like my 224,000-mile Jeep? You know, that's fine with a Jeep. It's just a piece of metal but you're worth more than that. And your time on this earth is more valuable than that. And if you've come to Jesus Christ and, and you've asked him to forgive you of your sins and you've made him your Lord, you are saved and you get to go to heaven when you die, but you've got time here between now and then. How are you going to live it? Are you going to live it every day just hoping this thing starts? I know there's days like that. Even for those who are well restored, it doesn't always all work, does it, you saints? But I think there are some of us who are just ignoring the problems and we're not digging into the scripture and we're not digging in in prayer and we're not inviting anybody to have anything to say in our lives. Some of us are just putting our head down and wishing. God is reaching out to offer us something better. He's offering us fullness and completion. God is offering restoration. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Can we pray? God, thank you for your restoration. It comes in so many different ways and at unexpected times. 
Lord, you are working in us. But God, some of us have been, have been pushing you away or, or we've closed off parts of our life or parts of our story, parts of our heart, and, and we've just said no thanks and, and we're limping along. God, forgive us. Forgive us for, for being content with that kind of misery. Holy Spirit, would you please come upon us now, everyone in this group and everyone watching online, would you please work in our hearts now to remind us how important it is to hear this scripture? How important it is to, to yes, to strive towards our reconciliation, to do what we can do, but to trust that you're going to meet our efforts. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us. And help us to do the difficult work of, of studying and praying, and listening, and doing it in community. Thank you, Lord, for the restoration that you've done. Thank you for the restoration that is yet to come. Help us to be faithful. Amen.